This is episode 118 of the Steady Trade Podcast with your host, the ever so polite Tim Bowen. I don't want to be rude and, and ask your age. Today, Tim sits down with Chris Irons of Quote the Raven. We are being conditioned to think that up is good, down is bad when that's not the case. People need to learn that they can position themselves to make money when the markets go down. And people need to learn that in a real true free market, markets go up and they also go down. It's an entertaining and highly informative discussion that covers topics like this. So it's got to be strange for them to be reporting on, you know, hey, you know, this company has a debt maturity coming up when they don't really understand what that means. You can just see the blank expression on some of their faces. And this. And trust me, there's some dildo on right now going, oh, buy Home Depot, right? Nope. I guarantee <laughs> you, if I went and read Home Depot's annual report cover to cover, I'd probably be six times more informed than that guy by the end of the report. And this. If you get yourself informed and you get a little bit of an education on how to do a little bit of research into things, just know that you are as good as anybody that's out there. That's right. It's another great episode of Steady Trade. Right, Tim? Welcome back to the Steady Trade Podcast. Got an awesome, awesome guest today. One of the uh, sharpest guys I've ever talked to in trading and and really more of investing. So today we've got Chris Irons, aka QTR Research or Quoth, Quoth the Raven. Uh, I think it's I'm guessing it's a reference to Edgar Allan Poe. But uh, you know, Chris has a got a crazy story. I think it would be a very inspirational story to you if you're listen, if you're starting day trading and you're six months in or a year in, and you're like, man, I'm really struggling. Chris goes about his journey of, you know, he uses some explicit language of just, you know, failing and failing and failing. And and he tried everything. I mean, he tried, you know, day trading, Forex, you know, all this stuff. And then he's here 16 years later, one of the sharpest guys I've ever talked to. I mean, I mean, I think the journey is what makes him so smart. And so interesting. Now, um, we talk a lot about being the master of your own domain. And I think that's the number one takeaway from this podcast is man, Chris, you know, he, uh, I mean, there's a lot of songs that, that say this, but I mean, he did it his way for, for sure. You know, there's, I don't know if anybody else has taken the path he's taken and he owns up to everything. He admits his mistakes. He's, you know, we talk about, I'm like, Hey, would you do it the same way? And he's probably like, you know, I, I kind of have to do it the same way, but he owns up to everything. He's not asking for any handouts. He's not asking for any help. He's that, you know, that free thinker, that independent individual. And then, uh, we talk a little bit about bullish and bearish stance. Um, many of you know, from listening to the podcast, I'm very, you know, bullish. I, I talk about how I think the economy is booming. Stock market is raging. Chris is very, very skeptical. Um, which is good. You know, we, in the, in the, the first couple lines of opening the podcast, I'm like, Hey, this is what makes a market. Okay. Somebody thinks the stock's worth this. Somebody thinks it's worth that. That's why there's buyers and sellers. That's the great thing to me about the market is it's, it's, you know, my wits against your wits, my opinion against your opinion. Now, one thing I do want to comment on is, you know, one of the biggest differences that Chris and I have uh, is, is you know, he's very dubious of technical analysis. And, and if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you know that we talk about technicals a lot. Now, I will say this, simple technicals, you know, I'll tell you over and over again, 
don't send me a chart with 15 different indicators on it. But we talk about support, resistance, breakouts, breakdowns. And, you know, Chris is a little more of that kind of fundamental, not more of, 100% more of the fundamental type trader where he's looking at the, you know, the profit and loss, the balance sheet, the, the annual reports, all of that to make his trading decision. But I will say this, what we're doing here is, you know, we're more short term than he is. He's, he's looking out, you know, I didn't ask specific time frames, but I'm speculating. He's looking out months, years in a lot of his decisions. And, you know, here at Steady Trade, we're mostly day trading. We're looking at minutes and hours. So it's a different, different mindset, you know, and, and I, again, I respect his opinion that, that if he's looking at multi month, multi year positions, he doesn't care about the RSI or the VWAP and, and some of these indicators that we look at. So in summary, really happy with this episode. Um, I, I, I back to that point of just, you know, forge your own way and, I, I think that something I like to do on this podcast a lot is is to encourage people to pursue those, their dreams. And if you really, really love day trading, it's it's not two month thing. It's not three months. It's not a year. It's probably not a few years. You might be like Chris, and it's eight or ten years before you catch your stride. So keep that in mind. And as always, be the master of your own domain. Hey everyone, Tim Bowen here. Really appreciate you listening to the Steady Trade Podcast. I have a great time doing it, really giving back, and, and it's a true passion project of mine. But if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of trading, in Stocks to Trade Pro, it's a mentorship program that I do twice daily webinars every single day of the week. Never miss a day. Market open, market close. I think it is the best way to really speed up that learning curve. And the best thing about it, and this is something that I'm truly, truly proud about, is we built an amazing community in Stocks to Trade Pro. We have a chat room, traders in there all day long, new, intermediate, advanced, young, old. It is an amazing community, and I think by working in these twice daily webinars with the chat room, with the community, with Stocks to Trade, it is one of the best ways to become that consistently profitable trader. <laughs> so as mentioned in the introduction, we have Chris Irons, also known as Quoth the Raven here. Um, he's got a great podcast. Definitely check it out. We'll link it below, but you can also just Google QTR podcast and it will come up. Um, Chris has been around. He's got a long history. Um, would kind of like to, going to kind of introduce him, let him give his bio, and then I'd like to pick his brain. Um, you know, we, uh, we kind of, him and I are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum, but that's why there's a market. You know, there's always a, that's right. the reason it's a market is, is there's, it's a, it's, it's ultimately a big debate, you know? So, so, so thanks for coming, Chris. And, and yeah, if you don't mind, can I just jump in? I, I don't know much of your history, so I would like to kind of get to know. <laughs> so. Well, I'm stoked to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. Um, so my history kind of uh, is not really like an orthodox history. Um, I don't really have a traditional finance background. Um, I started kind of investigating the capital markets, which is a nice term for losing money, when <laughs> I was 17, 18. And uh, from about 18 to, I don't know, about 27, 28, um, I pretty much worked as a bartender. I had gone through university. I went to graduate school. Um, 
and was more or less a casual investor. Uh, you know, I was learning by pretty much just getting my balls punched in for the most <laughs> part, uh, just getting absolutely crushed. And that's which, how I which learned, is, which is know. how most most of us start, you know. If if right, I, I, right. I always like to I always like to make fun of the people that are just like instantly successful. It's like, wait a minute, man, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like I it's, never stood a chance. I never <laughs> stood a chance from the beginning. It was it was it was a full fledged fucking four alarm disaster from the beginning. <laughs> um, you know, I, the first couple of stocks that I bought um, outside of a couple of blue chips I bought when I was eighteen. I think the first couple stocks I bought were, you know, just trash, over-the-counter, pure scams. You know, I didn't have any idea what I was doing. I didn't know anything about due diligence. I didn't know equity valuation. I didn't know how a public company worked. I mean, I just didn't understand any of it at all. And now, uh, now, now real quick, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be rude and, and ask your age, but, uh, but, but, you know, when you were eighteen, kind of, kind of, where are we here? I, I, I can't remember how old. Sure, you are. I'm, I'm, well, I'm thirty-six now. Okay. So. okay. Um. And yeah, that's pretty much how I learned equities by getting my ass kicked. And then uh, I wanted to learn options. So I kind of learned how options worked kind of in principle, um, but didn't really understand, you know, the Greeks or any of the complex stuff involving options. Um, So I got my ass kicked on options for a while. And then I was like, ooh, Forex, cool. You can trade 24 hours a day. And then (laughs) got my ass kicked doing that too. Um, You know, because why, you know, why let the ball stomping uh, stop at 5 p.m. or 4 p.m., right, if we can take it 24 well, well, hours? At least 18 years ago, they didn't have crypto, so at least you didn't get suckered into crypto. Right. <laughs> well, that's right. That You know, if Forex was really the only way to trade yeah. um, back then. I mean, unless you're going to trade futures, um, which eventually I did too. <laughs> but um, poorly, very poorly. Not as successful as, say, Hillary Clinton trading cattle futures. But... Um, <laughs> So regardless, uh, I learned kind of by getting destroyed for about, I don't know, 10 years. And then I finished graduate school. My undergraduate degree was in English and business and technical writing. So I didn't have a huge finance background, which actually I think now today works to my advantage. Right. Um, I went to graduate school for a business program that wasn't super financial intensive either, which was, again, I think to my benefit, but that's when I first started to kind of get a look at, you know, what a P&L was and what a cash flow statement was, what a balance sheet was, how equities were valued, things like that. It was really kind of, a, in terms of actually getting my act together, it was somewhat of a late bloomer. I didn't really start to understand what was going on until I was probably, you know, until maybe 10 years ago. And, uh, and then I kind of kicked it into hyperdrive from there. I went to go... Um, so I finished graduate school. I did a second graduate school program um, that helped hone me a little bit more. That was a little bit more uh, geared toward finance, even though it wasn't a finance degree. Then I went to go work for a company as their investor relations director, which is a really baptism by fire in terms of understanding public companies. I took on a role that didn't really exist at the company. They wanted to bring, it was a company that was an investor in at first, and I didn't like their IR. I thought they were doing a shitty job. And so I called the CEO one day and I was like, hey, you know, I don't know what you're paying these guys, but I can do whatever they're doing better than them. Just show me how to do it and you won't have to show me again. So uh, he did. He, he had me come up and interview. 
and he hired me. And then I worked for two and a half years as an investor relations professional, which really sat me alongside of, you know, our chief financial officer, our CEO, our COO, uh, you know, the administrative people that helped write the, uh, all the filings, the SEC filings. So, you know, our securities attorney. So I got a really hyper intensive, um, you know, exposure to how the public markets worked. How the, how and, the, how the sausage gets made in essence, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that was really one of the, in terms of cultivating my experience level, um, that was very rigorous and very intense because you're going from somebody that has a basic understanding of the capital markets to now having to be in a comp, uh, in a position where you're, discussing everything you know you're helping write the annual report you're talking about different types of financing you're talking about you know the, you're talking about the debt markets you're talking about you know debt covenants you're reading prospectuses you're uh you know putting together the angle general meeting you're learning what goes in a proxy all that kind of garbage um so i took a lot of that on at that job and that was really like where i kind of sharpened my teeth um, that's when I started writing for Quote the Raven, it, as Quote the Raven, rather. It was a couple years into that job, uh, maybe 2012, this is, I don't remember. But uh, I started writing under my moniker, Quote the Raven, basically because I just wanted to write anonymously and make some extra money. Okay. Um, I wasn't really concerned about becoming some type of fucking personality. Um, <laughs> so I just started to write, and if you go back and read my early stuff, you know, it's garbage. It's pretty much just trash. And, um, I left that job after the company didn't go under, but it ran out of money, which is very, very close to going under. Sure. <laughs> uh, and from there, I had been doing a ton of reading on Seeking Alpha, sharpening my skills a little bit more. And I read some short activist pieces by, um, Muddy Waters had just done NQ Mobile, I think, in 2013 or 2012. Yep, I, I remember that one. I, I shorted yep. NQ, actually, yep. <laughs> and and Geo Investing had just done Longway Petroleum. And uh, I had read the Longway Petroleum report and the NQ report, and I was really impressed by the level of due diligence. I, I Actually, what I thought was here's research that coincides with the level of detail that we're kind of being mindful of in making the sausage, yep. um, you know, most, most equity analysis. And even to this day, people on the sell side, they take management's word for it. They do right. some type of stupid discounted kind of cash flow model where they fucking reverse engineer the numbers that they want. Um, and that type of due diligence, what guys like muddy waters were doing with putting boots on the ground and, you know, reading the deck covenants and going the extra mile was commensurate with what I thought was about as good as you can do legally, you know, without, without crossing uh, the line into illegality. And as far as legal due diligence, uh, that was probably the most like badass job that you could do. So when I left uh, this company, I knew that I wanted to kind of do that type of research Um and so when I got back to Philly, that was up uh, near Canada. When I got back to Philly, I looked up the guys at Geo Investing because they happened to be local to me. And uh, I just said, hey, you know, 
read the long wave petroleum report. It was, I thought it was great research. This is the kind of research I want to do. Um, here's what I'm bringing to the table. By then I had a, you know, pretty good understanding of what I was doing. Not great. Still don't have a great understanding of what I'm doing, but better. And, uh, they hired me when I came back to Philly. They were like, Oh, we've read your stuff as quote the Raven. So we know who you are. So I was like, Oh, that was cool. That kind of excited nice. the process. And they were already following me on Twitter and stuff, I guess. So yeah. Then I went to work for geo investing for five years. Um, and there, you know, helped that company expose billions of dollars in U.S. listed China-based fraud and worked on, you know, probably hundreds of research reports and notes for our clients, uh, you know, on the short side and also on the microcap kind of long side. And, you know, when I went to go work for Geo, I told them I, I just have to, as a condition of my employment, I need to be able to continue under, quote, the Raven. And, I, you know, I don't want to kind of let this brand here that I've inadvertently kind of mistakenly developed go to waste. <laughs> and they were cool with it. So, you know, I kept my Twitter account and everything. And then a couple of years into that job, I started doing the podcast. And uh, here we are, brother, you know, 18 years after age 18. And I got people like you calling me for to do podcasts and interviews. <laughs> I'm still kind of confused about, you know, I'm just kind of a regular guy. <laughs> sure, and, sure. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so yeah, and I'm speaking at conferences and shit now. It's crazy. I don't know. I don't know what people are, uh, what people hear, what people like, but it's just, just me being me and I'm, uh, I'm enjoying myself. Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm obviously like, I'm a big follower of like the Gary Vaynerchuks and, and stuff like that. And I mean, it's like, it's amazing what you can accomplish by just showing up for years. You know, it's like, I mean, right. you're, you're, you're an 18 year overnight success. You know, it's like, right. you know, it's like everybody thinks it's like, oh, you know, I just, I start a blog and next week I'll be successful. Right. I know it took you 18 no, years. You it know? was, it was a grind, man. I got to tell you, it was a grind. And as I was doing it, I kind of, here's the really nice thing, brother. The nice thing is from the get go, I knew that when I was going to make kind of a social media presence for myself, that one, I was, you know, going to be myself so i didn't have any bullshit to remember i wasn't putting on any kind of facade you know what i mean so that that was the easy part the other thing too is you know for me having the blog and the twitter and that stuff is kind of cathartic so it's it's i actually enjoy it i have something to say get it the fuck out of my head put it on yep. the internet and now it's your guys's problem to deal with you guys read it and then that goes and reverberates out into the world of the internet and hopefully I could get it off my brain and go back to finishing on, you know, focusing my Guinness or whatever I'm doing. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's kind of been nice like that. But what I will tell you is it has also kind of been a grind, you know, like sure. these guys, like some of the guys that we know mutually, like I was just talking to Sang Lucci a couple of weeks yep. ago and my brother, Ryan Sellers, open outcrier. Yep. I um, actually just, you know, I, I, I interviewed Ryan two weeks ago, I think. Yeah. So yeah, man, we all kind of like, we all kind of came up relatively at the same time. Yep. And, um, I mean, those guys probably have a couple more years experience than I do, but you know, we're, we're hitting, we're on Twitter every day, man. You know, it's not like, it's like, there's no, uh, it's been a grind, man. I, I remember thinking, Oh, I can't wait to get to a thousand followers. And then I got yep. to a thousand. I was like, wow. And I can't wait to get to 5,000. I got to 5,000. I'm like, wow, I'm coming up on 10,000. Cool. You know, and I just stopped caring now. I'm at, you know, whatever, 60,000 something, whatever. And I'm just 
sometimes I look down at it and I'm like, who are these degenerates <laughs> that are following me? <laughs> what the hell are these people thinking? <laughs> and, uh, and it was the same deal with the podcast, right? So like 18 months ago, I started this podcast kind of as so a actually podcast. great, great, great segue. You can tell you do, did a lot of podcasts. So, so give us the history of the podcast and then maybe give me a little bit of a introduction, you know, tell people what you're, you know, what you're doing on the podcast. So. Well, I'm here's it's I don't have some big shtick and, and sure. spiel, right? Here here's what I'm doing. 18 months ago, I said to myself, "Man, here's some people I would like to talk to that are not getting mainstream media attention. I'd like to do that somewhere and I'd like to have an outlet for when I'm too tired to basically blog something, <laughs> I can just scream into a microphone <laughs> for, you know, an hour and then just punt that out onto the internet. And again, that's your guys' problem to deal with now once it's out there. And, you know, it was kind of like a weird experiment. I didn't really know. I didn't know whether or not it was going to do anything. I, you know, so I just went out one day and bought all the shit to do it. And I, you know, called up Bill Fleckenstein, who is like one of my favorite economic commentators who gets zero time on the financial media and who the last time I saw him on financial media was getting insulted by Tim Seymour over at CNBC who brought him on the air, I guess, to insult him, which I thought was one of the most petulant and uh, just overall like dick, dick move. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a huge dick move. And I was like, you know what I would like to do? Interview this guy and not be a total chode because I'm interested in what he has to say. Um, so I did. I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm just starting my own podcast. And I started the podcast. I called Bill Fleckenstein. I'm like, hey, you know, sorry that guy at CNBC is a douche, but, and by the way, you don't know me. And, you know, it's, it's 11 o'clock in the morning and I'm already drunk, but would you like to come on my podcast? You know, and Fleckenstein was like super cool about it. And so he came on, you know, we started shooting the shit with this God awful microphone that I had when I started. And, uh, and then from there, I just decided what the podcast was going to be was anything that I wanted. I don't, I don't bring people on that I don't personally find interesting. Yep. Um, I don't feel, you know, my podcast is a mixture of kind of rants, my own rants and, uh, and guests. I don't have a schedule. I don't have a anything. If I got something to say, I say it. If I don't, I don't do a podcast that day. If, if there's somebody interesting that I want to talk to, I invite them on. They're more than welcome. If they don't want to come on, then that's fine too. So it's just basically, you know, fun for me. And it's been awesome. You know, I just crossed uh, a million and a half listens, which is just, beautiful. you know, a- absurd. I've really only been <laughs> doing it for 18 months. So I, again, I don't I don't know who these people are, but I'm super <laughs> stoked about that. And I'm very thankful. Um, and the podcast now kind of funds itself with my, my Patreon. I have people that are supporting me financially. Um, and I've branched out really from more than just finance. You know, I was, spoke to Whitney Webb last week, who's this incredible journalist that did all this work on the Jeffrey Epstein saga. You know, a couple of weeks before that, I talked to Richard Gage, who is one of the head architects from architects and engineers for 9-11 truth so any topic that interests me is what i'm going to talk about and i know it sounds kind of selfish but uh you know my podcast my rules so that's how it goes down and i tell you know that's something i talk about all the time you know whether with whether it be with my son or on twitter i'm like man you know i i I kind of 
jokingly, but not jokingly say it. I mean, it's like we live in the most amazing time in history. I mean, I mean, look at what, I mean, you, you bought a $50 mic and you turned it into a million and a half downloads. I mean, how can you not? Yeah. It's kind of wild about, about where we are in this world, you know? Well, it's a, it's like a really cool time to be a content creator, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you, everybody spends all day on Twitter bitching and moaning about how awful CNBC is. And that, yep. for the most part, is pretty pretty much warranted, right? Like, yep. <laughs> it is an all-day fucking bull market hand job at CNBC. And, you know, chock full of guys wearing the same fucking IZOD shirt combination <laughs> that they bought at Kohl's every day. I was watching it today. Yeah, these two idiots on there trying to talk macro, okay? One, of course, is like probably like the head of strategic investments at fucking BlackRock making $5 million a year. And the other guy was, you know, some other hotshot big week. And both of these guys didn't know their fucking ass from their elbow. You know, <laughs> they were they were getting relatively simple questions. And I'm not judging what they said. I'm judging their inability to articulate themselves and make any kind of cogent point. At all. I mean, people were, you know, asking them like, hey, like very simple macro questions. What, is, what kind of effects the trade war going to have? You know, what do you think about interest rates going lower? I think they were talking about, are we in a recession? You know, and this, it took these guys two minutes to double speak and back talk. And yeah, well, we are where the one guy, the one guy was great. He's like, he's like, well, I think we're a 33% chance of getting into a recession. Now, keep <laughs> in mind, 33% is only one third. So I'm not saying that we're going to be in a recession and I'm not saying we're not going to be in, re- I'm not saying we're not going to be in a recession. I'm like, where the fuck do you find these people? So anyways, you know, in terms of being a content creator, it's a great time because these big, huge conglomerate corporations, whether it's CBS, CNN, you know, CNBC, Fox, they don't have the power anymore. The, the creators have the power. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I know I know you're a you're a big fan because I see it on Twitter. I mean, it's like, I mean, Joe Rogan crush you. You add together every TV channel together, and one episode of oh, Joe yeah. Rogan crushes it. You know. Oh, I know. He he murders it, and it's just it's like hilarious. I just I just asked the uh, the coach from the Netflix series Last Chance You, which is like a football uh, show on Netflix. Uh, this coach Jason Brown. I just you know I watched the series and I thought it was awesome, and I was like, you know what? This guy would be a good podcast guest. So I I invited him to come on the podcast. I sent him a DM and his publicist, or I'm sorry, he tells me, you got to talk to my publicist. And I'm like, listen, I don't want to talk to your publicist. I'm like, just fucking pick up the phone and call me and we'll do a podcast. Otherwise just say no and go about your life and I'll go about mine. You know? So I finally fucking, I email the guy's publicist and the publicist doesn't get back to me. And then he's fucking jerking me around. Oh, give me a day. Give me two days. I'm like, look, man, we're talking about a guy picking up the phone and just talking to me for a half hour. That's it. This, uh, we don't have to arrange fucking, you know, first class flight tickets here. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, so finally, like a couple of days later, I send the guy an email. I'm like, what's going on? The publicist gets back to me. He starts giving me an attitude. He's like, learn how to talk to people. Cause I sent him this email. I'm like, what are we doing? And then the coach sends me this message on DM on Twitter. And he's like, um, He's like, you know, to be honest, you sound like kind of a slapdick, which <laughs> admit, admittedly I am. <laughs> I, I actually, then, I was going to say, I, if, if, if somebody said that to me, I'd be kind of like, hey, that, I, I kind of like that. You know? <laughs> but the point, the point here is then he says to me, then he says to me, I'm on ESPN today, so I'll pass on Quote the Raven. And I was like, fine, that, that's, that's no problem at all. 
But the reason I wanted to bring that up is because, you know, being on ESPN isn't the end-all, be-all. First off, this guy's got about 15 minutes of fame left anyway, number one. But that's besides the point. What what he's failing to understand, and I'm not saying he's got to come on my podcast or any shit like that, and I'm not butthurt or anything, I could care less. But the point is he doesn't understand that this is the new medium, right? Exactly. And the point that yeah. you're trying yeah, to make whether, about, whether you know, means- Rogan's, Rogan's podcast is worth like something like $100 million. Yep. I mean, and and people don't even, so, you know, I was just having this conversation with the hedge fund manager the other day. It was like, what do you want to do in terms of media? Do you want to step it up? Do you want to do a TV show? I'm like, I want to keep doing what I'm doing because I got a long runway of growth ahead of me and it's simple and it's easy for me to manage. Uh, but you're right. The, the, the power is in the hands of the content creators now, which is why I don't want to take credit for this, but guys that I have had on my podcast kind of regularly, Peter Schiff, you know, Bill Fleckenstein, um, you know, these kind of guys now are starting to get a little bit more coverage elsewhere. Yep. And I wouldn't be surprised if the mainstream media starts to pick it up a little bit more because they realize, you know, that they've been complete and total dumbasses for the last however many years by trying to stick to the stupid playbook and script that everybody in the industry, brother, you, me, the people listening are sick of. Nobody yeah, wants yeah. to fucking see, yeah. nobody wants to fucking see Muhammad El Arian for the fucking 68th day in a row. Oh, dude, I don't know. You know, I don't know how you, I don't know how you do it. I mean, and I know you do it kind of to like, just more to, you know, fuel your skepticism, but dude, I can't even turn on CNBC. Five minutes, dude. I I, I can't even do it. (laughs) Well, you have, you have uninformed anchors. Okay. You have some of the contributors on here. They know what they're talking about. You know, the Nigerians, Guy Dami, Yep. These guys are, you know, sharp people. But for the most part, the news anchors don't seem to understand what they're talking about a lot of the time. So it's got to be strange for them to be reporting on, you know, hey, you know, this company has a debt maturity coming up when they don't really understand what that means. It just You can just see the blank expression on some of their faces and some of the shit that comes out of their mouth, Phil LeBeau. <laughs> you know, defending Elon Musk and Wilfred Frost taking shots at short sellers because he has no clue what he's talking about. It's just a giant shit show, man. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it may be a very small niche for me and and you. You know, your podcast has done very well also. Um, And there's a reason for that, man. It's because people are tired of the same script, man. Well, and, and, uh, and, and, and that's, you know, that's the beauty of what we're doing, too, is... Hey, hey there, there's 7 billion people in the world, man. You, you, carve out oh, yeah. a, you carve out a little niche, you know, and, and it's like, you oh, know. that's right, man. You know, it's like you're. Uh, that's uh, right. Give, give me, give me 0.0001% exactly. of that, you know. And if, <laughs> if I can monetize that, I'll be uh, elected the next president of the United States. <laughs> well, hey, man. What, what, I, I, awesome, man. I, I love that, that intro, and, and thanks. Um, things that came up and it's funny you mentioned like interest rates and the China trade war. I'd like to pick your brain on that. But one thing I don't want to skip over is, you know, what we're geared towards with, with this podcast is, I mean, we're, you know, the new trader. Okay. You know, the guy that's like, sure. he's Googling how to trade stocks. I mean, that that's kind of who sure. we're geared towards. So your journey, you know, your, your 16 year journey of trying everything. I mean, 
is that, would you recommend that to someone else? So uh, 18 year old Chris Irons is, is at, at the coffee shop with you right now. Would you recommend trying <laughs> everything or would you, well, would you, would you give them a different, think, so I think the ends justify the means. Um, because certainly now looking back at what I know, I'm so thankful that I wasn't just, you know, churned out of Dartmouth, you know, through the economics program or churned out of Harvard through their economics program, because I would, I would hate to kind of be limited by this, you know, new Keynesian uh, umbrella that all these people kind of come out under. And there's a certain level of indoctrination, you know, when you go to an institution like Penn or whatever, which is a fine school, but you know, a lot of people that get turned out of those universities come out of them believing their own bullshit right. and even worse off believing the bullshit that they're fed by the federal reserve, by the government, et cetera. And, um, not saying that I would have been one of those people anyways, but I'm glad that I didn't. I'm glad that I learned the hard way. Um, and I'm glad that I've, you know, adopted what I believe to be a very, um, necessary level of skepticism. Um, so, you know, my advice to somebody that's 18 that would want to get start that would want to start trading is, and I, and I mean it, I mean it dead, dead seriously. Okay, which is if if you get yourself informed and you get a little bit of an education on how to do a little bit of research into things, you know, don't trust anybody's judgment but your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and just know that you are as good as anybody that's out there. Yep. And, you know, it's been years of kind of getting – yeah, look, I've got a lot of things wrong in my time as a trader, but there's also been times where, you know – as far as a trade goes, you know, I've stood down a billion dollar hedge fund manager. I've sat in a meeting room and, and argued my case against, you know, a famous hedge fund manager who's somebody you would recognize on CNBC or in the wall street journal. So I've kind of gone toe to toe and I trust my research and I trust my intuition. doesn't mean I'm some hard headed fucking moron that just is like, Oh, you know, I'm not trying to run through brick walls. I'm open to hearing the other side of the story, but People that are just coming up, my advice, turn off the TV. Stop reading Zach's investment research. <laughs> you know, block, block Yahoo Finance on your computer. Block Motley Fool on your computer, you know, and just do your research yourself. Because uh, it's when you remove the cloak of financial jargon and, you know, all the little terminology and all the things that make the financial world seem esoteric and secretive underneath it. It's not, it's just a bunch of, you know, douchey guys that hang out in Tribeca just basically jerking themselves (laughs) off. I mean, it's just, and that's really all it is. And I'm confident that you, me or anybody listening to this podcast, not only could we stand toe to toe with these people when it comes to investment research and making our own informed decisions, um, you know, but you could probably kick their ass too as an added bonus. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, the, the point of the matter is, the point of the matter is, don't don't pay a fee to somebody to manage your money. I mean, unless yep. you just you want to delegate, um, you know, nobody is going to be as good as you will be. And exactly. the the there's something to be said for having yourself to blame when you make a mistake and having yourself to praise 
when you when you do well um it's a it's kind of a great feeling and uh and i think that's really important i think people should embrace that so Sorry, that was a very long-winded answer. No, no, I love it. I love it. You know, <laughs> cause I agree with, I don't think I disagree with anything. I mean, I, I mean, man, just that, that, that's the greatest thing of, again, back to this whole, the amazing time we live in. I mean, you have access to all the same information they do. I mean, you, you have, you have a supercomputer in your pocket. You know, you're exactly. talking, you're talking to me on a supercomputer right now, you know, that has yeah. unlimited connectivity to all the information in the world. Why would you not? Right. Read? the master of your own destiny. You don't need to mail away for annual reports anymore. You know what I mean? Yep, and the yep. best part is not only, not only is all the shit available, but in my last, you know, 10 years of, uh, you know, trading quips with sell side analysts and, um, you know, correcting sell side analysts. And here's another one I love too. When news anchors email me and they're like, what does this mean? And I'm like, hey, I'd like to come on the air and talk about it. They're like, no, 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 no. We don't want you on the air. Just tell me what it means. I'm like, you know what? Here's what it means. Do your fucking research yourself, all right? Exactly. I get anchors anchors that call me, like, during the Herbalife thing. You know, people would call me and be like, oh, what what does this mean? What does this language mean in the 10K? I'm like, listen, man, you put my big fat face on CNBC, and I'll come on and talk about it for as long as you'd like. Oh, no, we can't do that. We, you, You know, you you don't have a track record. You don't but, have any but gravitas. Just, just, but just I'm do like, our, do our I'm work. Like, you're, I'm like, you're calling me for help. How's that? All right. That's <laughs> enough gravitas right there. So the, the crazy thing is not only this, is this stuff available, Tim, but nobody uses it. Yeah, exactly. If you yep. pick up an annual report, like you want to do it, like a, your first piece of diligence on a company, open the annual report, not a quarterly Open the annual report and read it. And an annual report is going to give you everything that you would need. You read, and I guarantee you, Tim, if I went out and read, you know, whatever stock somebody's talking about on CNBC right now, and trust me, there's some dildo on right now going, oh, buy Home Depot, right? Nope. <laughs> I guarantee you, if I went and read Home Depot's annual report cover to cover, I'd probably be six times more informed than that guy by the end of the report. That's all you have to do. It's going to tell you about the business. It's going to tell you about their objectives. It's going to tell you about the financials. It's going to give you management discussion and analysis of those financials. It's going to lay out most of the risk factors, uh, the important ones anyway, of the business. It's going to talk about every, you know, it's going to talk about the share structure. It's going to talk about the company's debt, if it has any. Um, report is going to give you toe-to-toe, top-to-bottom, cradle-to-grave mostly everything you need, 95% of what you need to get started researching a company. And these guys on TV and big, huge, you know, fancy idiots that walk around New York City in suits and go to, you know, the Goldman Sachs building, they don't fucking read them either. So that's why me and you are, uh, you know, ahead of the game here a little bit and why your listeners can be too. So, so actually one question that I wrote down while you were, while you were kind of giving your background. So you've, you've obviously had some advanced education, you know, we're at this kind of intersection right now. I've actually got a a son that's a senior in college and, you know, I'm really kind of, or not senior in college, senior high school, sorry. And I'm really kind of struggling with, you know, the whole college thing. And you had some advanced, you know, you had, you had quite a bit of education from the sounds of it. I didn't get the whole, you know, your whole uh, Vitae or whatever the hell it is. But, uh, you know, do you think 
what what is your opinion on the on the value of college? I mean, do you do you think that helped you with critical uh, to, a lot of this stuff or to, not? To be honest with you, the the college programs that I did didn't really relate to what I'm doing now. I mean, the the exception being, um, you know, my undergraduate, I did business and technical writing, which I use now. I was pretty proficient in that going into college anyway. Um, I was always a good writer and good reader and always had good comprehension and stuff there. Um, you know, graduate school was nice. I did learn some things at graduate school, mostly about, uh, I learned kind of more abstract, you know, leadership style things in, in graduate school, you know, creating high performing teams. Why not, you know, why the blame game isn't, uh, isn't worthwhile. All these kind of like, not really like academic lessons. I went to this Franciscan university and it was good. It was a very kind of like well-rounded program. Um, I wasn't doing, uh, you know, IRR analysis or just kind of cash flow or anything there, but it was, it was a great program. I, I liked it. Um, as far as, and then I did a program uh, through uh, Cornell for hospitality. And then ultimately after that, finally did some uh, continuing education at Wharton for finance and accounting. To be honest with you, 90% of what I use, 90, probably 95% of what I use um, doing research is stuff that I've just learned on my own or learned from experience. So I don't think, I think if you have a rudimentary understanding of mathematics, if you can do math at like a sixth grade level <laughs> and you have, you have common sense, um, you can, you can do it. You don't need you know, it's it's not like you need to be doing fucking advanced trigonometry to, right, to figure right. out equity valuation. You know what I mean? You get your share price by dividing the market cap by the number of shares outstanding. It's that simple. You know, it's like they're they're very basic equations, right? So um, uh, you don't really need like some super advanced anything. I mean, I, I don't even pull out a calculator, Tim. Probably like I probably use a calculator like once a month. Oh, me too. You know? Me too. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I just, I'm just like. Like you said, if I'm trying to figure out the market cap, it's like, I'm like, eh, it's about 4.5 million. That's good enough. You know? Right, right. I don't need to know down the penny. readily available. <laughs> Between the stuff that's readily available and just the basics. So, you know, look, everybody's going to find their own path, man. I don't want to tell people what to do and what not to do. Um, you know, I'm a libertarian, so I hope people do whatever suits them. But for me, um, I'm glad that I went and, and, got all of this education but um i I don't i'm not sure i would be in a markedly different position now without it but i don't know who knows sure sure you know it's just you know i just kind of wanted to ask that question because we you know we get asked that a lot i mean you know it's like hey do i you know i want to learn to you know trade do i need a you know a business degree do i need to do this and it's like man day to day the math I'm doing, and you know, again, I'm just reading annual reports. I'm reading press releases. You know, it's not. No, I think the you know. I think the most important thing you're learning to trade is don't get sucked into this fucking scam of sure. technical analysis. Yep. You know, there's people that think that because they learn charting and they learn, you know, what the chicken money flow indicator does and what the <laughs> RSI does, that they're learning, you know, how to be a trader. And to me, if you ask me, the chops for becoming anything in in the world of the capital markets are based on the fundamentals. So 
you know, if I see a stock that's undervalued on a price to earnings, you know, basis, and they have a good secure balance sheet, and they don't have a lot of debt, um, you know, I'm going to buy that regardless of what the chart is doing. Yeah, whatever the people that kind of people that Joe Cloud says, yeah, right, right, right. So people (laughs) that kind of slip into this, and and it's an easy scam for people to run. That's why all these stupid trading courses and stuff. They that's what they teach you. I'm going to teach you three easy three easy chart patterns that I use to make money. And it's like, yeah, but people aren't really learning anything. They're, you know, they're, they're learning how to play connect the dots, which, you know, you were doing in third grade. Sure. It's not a big deal. Fucking charting is a backward-looking indicator. It's kind of a ridiculous way to make your investment decisions. And uh, But it's easy to teach people. It's easier for somebody to rip you off and show you, hey, here's a pattern that you should pay attention to. It's easier to do that, brother Tim, than it is to sit somebody down and explain to them, you know, what the difference between a market cap and an enterprise value is, um, because people just don't get it, and you know, it's just well, and it takes time. Like, hey, lines, a, yeah, yep, so yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. don't get sucked into the scam of technical analysis. Technical analysis is not is not becoming an investor. You know, you are you're not an investor. You're not a stock. Yeah, uh, you know. Look, it's some people it works for. Again, I don't want to tell people what to do, but for me, you know, that is putting the cart in front of the horse. The horse is the fundamentals. You have to learn the fundamentals first. You have to learn the fundamentals of equity valuation, um, and you have to learn how capital structure of companies works, which is so much easier than what it sounds like. It's the first time you ever heard the term capital structure. You're like, holy shit, what is this guy? An investment banker? No, it's like very easy. It's just basically a totem pole of, you know, all the different classes of shares that a company can have. Some of them have higher priorities, some of them have lower priorities. You've got to understand how each one of them works if you want to value each slice of the company. So, so that's a, that I think that's a good segue. So I know that, uh, one of your recurring themes on Twitter, and, and I know it's kind of, kind of tongue in cheek, but not tongue in cheek is, you know, you'll mention that, New podcast out, and it's you know the chronicles of our bullshit economy episode five hundred and seventy two, which I appreciate. Right. I, I chuckle every time I see those. But uh, so let's kind of move into some of the things I want to ask your opinion on. You know, I, again, sure, I, I'm bullish. I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. Um, you know, I think uh, you know again, I look at a lot of stuff going on in the economy. I think uh, we live in a great time, and uh, you know, now I'm talking just specifically the markets. So I know you're very sure. skeptical of this, you know, this great, you know, this orderly climb for the last 10 years. So what, sure. uh, you, you know, why are you so dubious of the stock market overall, you know, the market overall and the economy and kind of, can you kind of fill in the listener as to like, what's the mechanics behind your skepticism? Look, the, the mechanics behind my skepticism are kind of deeper than the stock market. Sure. Once you understand how the economic system works in practice today, how the global economy works, how fractional reserve banking works, how the central banks work, it's very difficult to not be a skeptic. Sure. The problem is I think that most people, the majority of investors that are bullish, your, you know, your Seagulls, your Buffets, the guys, of course, that all have more money than I do. <laughs> the, 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 the problem is that, you know, their tactics and their ideas exist within a theory that we're implementing right now that we don't know how it's going to pan out, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now. 
we're on this unprecedented journey of money printing right now. Okay. Yeah. Fiat currency, we decoupled the money from gold. All right. And basically we print money so that we can spend at a deficit, monetize debt. You know, we're promoting inflation and nobody's really done this the way that we're doing it now. Um, so we don't really know how it's going to end up. And anybody that tells you that, oh, the Dow's definitely going to be at 100,000 and you know, 10 years or whatever is full of shit because people don't know. And people that have been right historically aren't always going to be right. um, Myself included. So my skepticism comes from almost a, it comes from a much wider lens, almost a philosophical angle, which is, you know, this is an economic system that we've kind of humans have built based on (laughs) rules that, humans think will work for the long term, but mostly are put in place to appease us and politicians now in the, in the short term. Short term. Yep. And we don't have a 50 year, hundred year, 150 year outlook on the economy. We have a 50 minute, you know, outlook on the economy. Every day the stock market goes down, we're calling for more rate cuts. It's a stupid and ridiculous way to run monetary policy. So my skepticism is based on that. I just think it's a con. I mean, if you want my honest opinion, the basic tenets of finance, the Austrian school shit, right? Save your money because if you have more money, it's better for, you know, uh, capital investment going forward. And don't carry debt because you don't want to owe people money. That's a very simple concept, right? Right. But because Which we're is the greedy, exact opposite and, of what we're, we're sold, yeah, you know. Well, exa- exactly. We're told, you know, spending is great and take on as much debt, you know, My favorite example is like when you see a car commercial and it's just the monthly payment. You know, they're like, hey, get, get a brand well, new car for two ninety nine, And people people don't even know how much the damn car costs. You know, they're just like, oh, I, here's the I got an extra two ninety nine laying around. You know, here's the problem, Tim. The problem is that the basic rules of finance, right, the, the Austrian school style rules, your basic supply and demand, 101, free market, right? All of that stuff has been we have kind of, we have put on, it's like a house, right? You have this little house and then you you have a little problem. So, okay. You know, instead of rebuilding the foundation of the house or allowing the house to fall down and building a new one, you put a little addition onto the house and then you put another addition onto the house and then you put another addition onto the house the next time you have a problem. And then you have, you know, then you, you know, all those first editions are decoupling the currency from gold. Then the next couple editions are QE1, then QE2, then, then the stimulus checks, then this, then that, then now, now we have, a, we have this tiny little house that had the basic principles and fundamentals of economics on the fucking ground. And on top of it, we have 52 stories of additions <laughs> and the house is sitting there like a fucking giant Jenga puzzle, just waiting to fall over. Okay. And that's where we are right now. We are so many Sigma deviations uh, away from normal right now with how we're, interpreting monetary policy, how we think about finance in general, how we think about economics in general. We are so far off the path, Brother Tim, that we have no clue what's going to come next, okay? Right. <laughs> so, so, you know, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm permanent bearish, but I would say I'm permanently skeptical and permanently cynical. 
And, you know, look, I do own stocks. I have stocks that I own and hope that, that they appreciate in value. But I also own a lot of gold because I do think this thing is going to go tits up at some point. And I don't know when it's going to happen. May not be in my lifetime. You know, who knows? People could be listening to this podcast 200 years from now and, and making fun of me going, this guy, well, you know, with the, with, with the Dow at 19 million, you know, <laughs> I could be wrong. But, but I'm telling you, my man. We get into precarious financial positions and people wind up getting their ass kicked and we wind up in 2008 scenarios because people do not take the time to think about the other side of the equation. People don't take the time to be 1% skeptical, 2% skeptical. It is full-on euphoria at all times. And by the way, if you're not full-on euphoric, Tim Seymour makes a joke at your expense sure. on CNBC, and that's how we are. That's how we're conditioning. That's how the the financial news networks and the mainstream and you know the the, the popular financial thinkers. That's how these guys are indoctrinating everybody. It's it's one of the biggest con games of all time. It's a confidence game. The confidence game comes from you know the term confidence man which comes from you con man yeah, yep you get somebody to buy into what you're saying you earn the confidence of somebody else and then from there you can dupe them and pull the rug out from underneath them and i would argue that it is probably more likely than not that the entire system the financial system the, the central banking system monetary policy is a giant confidence game and uh and that's it man and i think that's damn good reason to be a little bit skeptical and to try to raise my voice a little bit and to amplify the voices of others that are skeptical. Because by God, Brother Tim, we have enough fucking euphoria. We have people whistling zippity doo dah out of their assholes on CNBC every morning when the futures are up. And it <laughs> looks like somebody killed their pet dog every morning when the futures are down. We, right. are, we are being conditioned. We are being conditioned to think that up is good down is bad when that's not the case. People need to learn that they can position themselves to make money when the markets go down. And people need to learn that in a real true free market, markets go up and they also go down. Well, man, I, I tell you, let's, well, I'm going to kind of bring it home here. Um, really appreciate this, man. You know, again, I, I, I met you back at Traders for a Cause, which if you're listening, um, this episode will probably air in a couple of weeks. Traders for a Cause mm -hmm. will be coming up. You're going to be there, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. So uh, Chris will be there if you want to meet him. Um, definitely check out Traders for a Cause. I'll be there again this year. Um, and but so so what I want to kind of wrap it up with is I, I love your opinion, man. You're one of the smartest guys we've had on the podcast. I love your I love your no bullshit attitude. So you know we talked a little bit doom and gloom, a little bit reality and skepticism. So say I'm you know I'm out there and I'm like whoa. This is the first time I ever heard this. You know, I, I believe the CNBC line. What, uh, you know, what, what, what should I do? You know, you know, do, do I start buying a couple hundred bucks a, a month in gold? You know, what do I do to position nah. myself? Well, you know, I don't, I don't some. give people investment advice. I mean, well, I, I understood. What I can, I mean, but, but like, what you I can know, tell people is that I personally like to own some gold. Okay. Um, I think it's a hedge against inflation. It's a hedge against the entire financial system, gold. So I like to own gold and I like to own physical gold in addition to my traditional, you know, whatever, dollar-denominated horse shit, equities, bonds, okay. whatever. Um, you know, 
just remember diversification doesn't mean I'm going to buy stocks and bonds that are both dollar denominated. That's sure. not diversifying because in the event where, you know, the dollar winds up getting smashed, which will happen eventually, you know, actually, I mean, you make the, to make the argument that in a hyperinflationary environment that asset prices will go way up, um, but you're going to want to own something that's also uh, detached from the dollar. So whether it's commodities, whether it's gold, um, personally, I prefer to own gold. Uh, you know, I gave a I gave a speech last year um, that's on YouTube. If you look up uh, case case learning, Chris Irons, um, it is, or I think his thing's called Empire Financial Research now. Whatever, you know, yep, at yep. the bottom, looking at it, but it was the, it was the it case, is a case about why why I own gold. Yep, yep. So right, yeah. right, and um, and that's it, you know. But I would encourage people to go out and and make their own decisions and not listen to me. And uh, you know what? I, the one piece of advice that I would listen to is that anybody that's going to square up with you and tell you that they know what you should be doing should probably be treated with skepticism and that's why i don't like to tell people hey do this do that i say you know make your own mistakes or claim your own victories and uh and you know live or die by your own sword and you know i wish everybody the best of luck and and i just i hope everybody comes to the realization that they can you know they can easily best many of the quote-unquote you know best people in the industry or whatever um by just doing their own research and having their head screwed on straight. Yeah, I think I think that's the number one takeaway from this podcast, man, and I appreciate that is be that master of your own be the master of your own destiny. I mean, uh, I mean you that's proved it, brother. Yep. So you you you, bounce, you bounced all over the place, you tried everything, but it was always just it was you doing that. You weren't trying to leech off someone else. I mean, obviously It's like life and it's like life in general, man. Yep. You know, you have to be you have to trust yourself, you have to be secure with yourself. I mean, that's where everything starts in your life, right? Not just with your finances, with your relationships, with your well-being, with your friendships, with how you look at, you know, every day. You have to, you have to shore up your own kind of personal, uh, uh, personal insides and get to a point where you're secure with yourself and, you know, you're, you're secure with your place in the world and what you know and even more importantly, what you don't know. I mean, I tell people all the time, hey, I don't know how to do this. Hey, I'm not a great forensic accountant. Hey, I'm terrible at this because, you know, embrace those things that you're bad at and tell people because people will help. Um, don't try to be like, hey, I know this, I know that when you don't. And it all just comes from being secure with yourself, man. Yep. And, uh, and in finance and in life, uh, being secure with yourself and trusting yourself, I think is going to take you, uh, and, you know, it sounds kind of Mr. Rogersy, but believing in yourself, it's going to take you further than, uh, turning around and handing your money to some asshole in a, uh, in a, you know, $5,000 suit. Something, you know, uh, again, you mentioned libertarian. I mean, I think we share a lot of similar beliefs in that as well. And, you know, my, she was, she was pretty crazy, but my favorite author of all time is always Ayn Rand and, and the fountainhead, you know, Howard Rourke. Sure. I mean, you know, I, I, hopefully, hopefully I don't offend you, but I could, you remind me a lot of that, of that, like Howard Rourke like type character. He was like, Listen, I know what the fuck I'm doing as an architect. Don't tell me how to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it my own way. And that was that. That's why I recommend that book to so many people. It's my favorite book of all time, actually. So, well, you can be, again, you can be okay with the things that you don't know. Yep. There's plenty of things I don't know. I'm a terrible accountant, Tim. Terrible. 
I mean, when I need forensic accounting, I talk to somebody else about it. I just can't do it. I mean, I'm just, I'm not great at it. There's people that can reconcile a balance sheet and a P&L, you know, with one eye closed in five seconds. I'm not that guy, right? Um, you have to recognize what you don't know um, and recognize what you do know. And when you embrace the things, when you embrace your weaknesses, that, and you're okay with that, that's what gives you real strength. And that is, what will turn you into the rock that other people will break themselves on. Perfect ending, man. I love it. Love it. That was a good, I've never heard that saying. I, I'm, I'm totally ripping that off. So, uh, man, again, Chris, I'd like to thank you for coming on and, uh, definitely, you know, the listeners out there, definitely check out the QTR podcast and, uh, Chris, man, thanks again. And, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing you here in a month or two, man. Thanks a lot. Tim, it was truly my pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me on. And if you're a listener and you made it this far, uh, <laughs> congratulations for surviving <laughs> my diarrhea of the mouse. Um, but also thank you very much for your time, and I uh, really appreciate it. Hi, this is Aaron, a.k.a. Double A Ron from New York City. And I like to go outside and find a stray dog. Preferably an aggressive breed like a pit bull or a Rottweiler. Then I get real close, stare it down eye to eye until it starts to chase me. Then I run. That's right, I run while listening to Stephen and Tim on the Steady Trade podcast. You can register to win real actual prizes at their website, steadytrade.com. And if you really like what you hear, Give the podcast a five-star rating and write a glowing review on iTunes. I did, and this is how we say goodbye in New York City. <laughs>